This is Chris. Welcome to episode 357 of X Labs, where, well, stop me if you've heard this one before. I think we got a quickie today. And usually when I say that, the show, like, never ends, so <laughs> we'll see. Uh, but I don't think this one's going to go all that long. It is a uh, Ben Percy book, which, I mean, we've said it before, we'll say it again. Usually very, very enjoyable books, but not a whole lot to say about them. Right, they're usually very action-heavy. Um, sometimes they're just completely insane, but uh, usually they're just very action-heavy. You know, it moves the story forward. There just isn't a whole lot to like analyze. And if you've been listening to this show for any length of time, you'll know that I love you know taking little little bits of story and just going off on tangents. Uh, you know, recalling past events and anything that's relatable to it. Uh, we don't really have that here, and, and I mean that that is. Something we get from X-Force and Wolverine is It doesn't really lean too far into the past Not that every book has to But for my purposes, it just makes it a much uh, breezier experience And uh, hopefully, it doesn't feel like a complete waste of time If you do decide to listen Anyway, with that out of the way, let's just uh, hop right in We're talking about X-Force, Volume 6, Number 28 Which had a July 2022 cover date Story's called Cerebrax, or Cerebrax, however you say that Written by Benjamin Percy with art by Robert Gill. Colors, Guruy FX. Letters, Joe Caramagna. Designs, Muller and Bowen. Edits, Baumgartner, Basso, White, Sabolsky. Cover price, four bucks. This one allegedly went on sale May 18th of 2022. And of course, I'm saying allegedly because there's like no agreement on these release dates uh, via Marvel, via Amazon, the Marvel Wiki. They all list different dates here. And, you know, while discussing dates, uh, you know, in the, the back page of these books, if you get them physically, maybe the digital versions, I'm not sure, but uh, you get, like, that coming soon page, right, where it lists all the books that are coming out. And it used to have all the dates those books were coming out. They've since stopped putting the dates because, I mean, Lord only knows when any of these books, if and when any of these books are going to come out. But I'm looking at the back page of uh, this issue of X-Force, and it looks like uh, New Mutants Annual Number 2 was scheduled to come out May 11th of 2022. We didn't get a New Mutants Annual Number 1. We- <laughs> I mean, what? Unless, unless I somehow missed it. I don't, I don't think I did. Though I suppose it's, I suppose it's possible. It's more likely that, uh, I don't know, maybe it's just a placeholder or maybe... Uh, Maybe it's a copyright trap. They want to make sure that none of us are stealing their coming soon list. I, I couldn't imagine. But um, lest I, you know, continue to kvetch about uh, Marvel's uh, distribution woes, uh, let's just hop right into the book here. It's worth noting 
that our cover is an homage to X Force number three. I, I guess uh, I guess we like Rob Liefeld this week because uh, there is a little credit to him on there. It's uh, you know after Rob or after Liefeld. I don't remember what it says, but uh, there is a little nod there, and it is pretty close to the cover of X Force number three from back in 1991 ish. Anyway, let's crack this sucker open, and we are in the Cerebro Cradle, where the hentai helmet manifests a hologram of Forge. Now, it talks about how hungry it is, it's insatiable, it's very, very hungry, it's going to keep eating, and Forge, the hologram of Forge, uh, warns that it could eat so much that it might wind up becoming a mutant itself. The hentai helmet doesn't really see this as being a bad thing, and the gimmick here is that uh, Cerebro has become a bit perverted, uh, at least this helmet has, anyway. Uh, it's no longer satisfied with eating information, which was always its mission, you know? It's like, you, you get the backups, you get that kind of stuff. Now, it's got a hunger and insatiability for powers, which, I tell you what, it's not the worst idea. And it uh, equally wasn't the worst idea back in 1998 when they originally wrote this pretty much same exact story. Anyway, from here, double-page spread of roll call and cred. Our characters are quite eclectic this time out. We got Forge, Wolverine, Cecilia Reyes, Omega Red, Beast, Domino, Sage, Phoebe Cuckoo, Silver Samurai, Black Tom, and Kid Omega. Back to comics, and we are over at the Healing Gardens, where Frasier, Lilith, and Cecilia Reyes are standing over Forge's half-eaten body, as if to say, like, yep, he's still dead. Now, Reyes is the one who uh, posits that Cerebro has this new perverted directive. Now, while this chat's going down, the helmet devours Havoc and Polaris. Huh? I mean, like, a single panel. Havoc, dead. Polaris, dead. What? Do I, do I shift into, like, full-on kvetching mode already? Nah, we'll save that. <laughs> There's probably going to be a few more things in this issue to uh, get a, uh, you know, burn our saddle over, so to speak. Um, it's also kind of worth noting that during this chat, we get another editorial footnote which refers to Zlato, Zlato as being, quote, now classic. It, it's, it's almost like they're in on the joke, right? Uh. Scene shift. We're over at the Crucible. Now, this is where the Silver Samurai is fighting the Juggernaut. Well, not actually. It's a, it's the uh, Omega Knot. It's Quentin Quire using a Kane Marco husk, which, hmm, it's a little confusing, um, because it and it's weird, you know. Back in the day, I would always assume that something like this was purposefully done, but now my first instinct is like, oh, they forgot that the Juggernaut's not a mutant. That that's my first thought here. That's unfair of me, but I mean, there is a pattern of behavior here in creative where. They don't seem to care uh, And I mean, I feel like I'm like a lone voice here anyway So we'll just, we'll just move along Anyway, now Quentin, he's trying to like pilot or control these husks And this husk in particular at the moment Via his, you know, Omega level powers Here's tele telepathy, his telekinesis, combination of the two Maybe some more stuff, who knows Now I mean, this isn't the worst idea Maybe, maybe it'll stop him from dying every fourth panel, right? Anyway He's having a hard time adjusting to Juggernaut's slow and plodding frame. Just then, Wolverine busts into Quentin's bedroom to shake him out of the astral whatever the hell he's in. And he also discovers all the husks that QQ has been trying to operate. He's, this is not the first, this is not his first rodeo, I guess. We see the husks of Emma Frost, Beast, Colossus, Domino, and even one of Wolverine himself. And I mean, I'm okay with this story bit. I kind of dig the uh, idea here. 
uh, Quentin finally doing something where he's trying to keep himself out of the front line, but still like being on the front line. So, but but in, in a way where he's not going to die every third or fourth panel, I kind of dig that. And of course, part of me is still really really stuck on Juggernaut being one of these husks. <laughs> um, like I said, you know. In any other era, or maybe not any other era, but eras of the past, I would, I would trust in creative that they know what they're doing with this. Here, my first instinct is, oh, they just forgot. Why not throw a Deadpool body on there as well, right? Maybe, maybe we're parlaying this into lampshading that the five can resurrect humans if they wanted to, or if they were given the orders to. Maybe that's leading into something that's going to be. Maybe not so much resolved, but at least addressed in the Judgment Day storyline? Don't know. Maybe this is just Quentin doing Quentin stuff, and we're not supposed to really question it. Uh, who knows? Who knows? X-Force is one of the books that's written kind of... kind of episodically, where, like... I don't know, it just feels like some things just happen in some issues, and they just don't in others. We'll figure it out, or maybe we won't. Who knows? Anyway... Logan fills QQ in on the hentai helmet and what it's doing and the threat that it uh, poses. And it took me about a minute and a half to come up with the word poses there. I was sitting here like an idiot trying to think, like, well, what's that word? It's not the threat that it threatens, it's the threat that it poses. Anyway, uh, Choir talks about not really feeling himself since being dumped by his cuckoo and also having that baby Max stolen by the surfers. And it was the surfers who took the baby, right? It's been such a long time. When he first said Max here, I initially thought he was, like, for some reason, extremely upset that Magneto moved to Mars. And I was like, I don't remember them being all that close. But, uh, no, he's talking about that baby who was kidnapped, I think, by the surfers. Uh, we go from here to an info page where the five write a memo to complain about Quentin Quire's husk requests. Now, this memo is sent to Beast and Sage, and uh, they accuse Quentin of abusing X-Force's special privileges, and they kind of ask for guidance. It's like, hey, we await your orders, you tell us what to do. Back to comics, and we got Sage entering Omega Red's cave to interrupt him while he eats a freshly killed beast of some sort. And I say beast as in some sort of unidentifiable animal, not Hank McCoy, though I totally understand why you might be confused. Uh, Sage tries to appeal to Red to uh, maybe become of use. She confides in him that she's been drinking quite heavily of late. She's been getting into fights. She uh, mentions that she beat the hell out of Gorgeous George, and um, also that she's been uh, a little promiscuous of late, uh, though we don't find out who she's been banging. Quite what this adds to the story, I, you know, I, I really don't know. I, I don't know how you would appeal to someone like Omega Red in any way um he seems like quite the irredeemable type but maybe that's where we're headed though you know maybe this is sage getting a harsh dose of uh, reality where she's going to do whatever she can to appeal to him and he's still just not going to work out the way she uh thinks it will though i mean at the same time we are pitting the philosophies of sage and beast against one another and in any of those kind of fights sage is always going to win because well, Beast, Beast can't buy a win anymore, it seems. Anyway, outside, Domino and Wolverine happen across the hentai helmet's cradle. Inside, there are a bunch of uh, headless, and as far as I can tell, generic mutants who the helmet has eaten. Now, before we get into that, we hop over to an info page, and it's from the Chronicler. 
where he accuses men with beards of being untrustworthy because they're hiding something. Well, yes, uh, but sometimes what they're hiding is simply the fact that they have a, uh, a weak chin. Uh, not, that, not that I would know anything about that, of course. Anyway, it is, of course, worth noting that uh, whenever the artists and editors bother to remember, Colossus is drawn as having a beard. This page seems to be here simply to remind us that this story hasn't yet been resolved, which, I mean, credit where it's due. It's kind of a shock that anybody remembered this, uh, given the current year comics landscape, so uh, big thumbs up on that. Back to comics, and we're over to the beach, where Quentin is attempting to warn his cuckoo, and, well, all the cuckoos, about the hentai helmet. And how if it uh, were to, I don't know, eat a very powerful mutant, or five, <laughs> things could go quite a bit caca. Now the five and one, they don't want to hear none of this, and they accuse our boy of making it all up so he'd have a reason to chat them up. They call him a stalker, and they pretty much tell him to go pound salt, or I guess pound whatever his pleasure is, I guess. Back to the cradle, where the hentai helmet appears and blasts at Wolverine using Havoc's powers. It then uses Polaris's magnetism to bend Wolverine's claws, like, into his wrist. Huh? I mean, that that shouldn't happen, right? That shouldn't be able to... I mean, I mean who, who cares anymore? If the people getting paid to care don't, why the hell should I? I don't know. Anyway, the helmet christens itself Cerebrax, or Cerebrax, uh, before skidooing away to try and eat Black Tom Cassidy, which would assumedly give it the ability to control all the veg, which would, assumedly, <laughs> be a very bad thing indeed. And that, my friends, is where we leave it. Next episode, uh, well, strap in because we go back to the alleged flagship. It's uh, X-Men number 11. But uh, let's talk a little bit about this issue here. Don't have a whole heck of a lot to say about it. Um, I didn't hate it. You know, I, I didn't love it. It was... Uh, you know, a regular old issue of X-Force Where there was stuff that you could dig Where, you know, you feel like the story is progressing But then there's some real silly stuff That, uh, <laughs> that it's like You wonder, like, who's looking at this Like, is, does this pass by any editorial desk? It's, m- maybe I'm being, maybe I'm being too, uh, dramatic there I don't know I feel like killing Havoc and Polaris the way they did is Ridiculous Um You know there there had to have been lesser like Cannon fodder mutants that the hentai helmet Could have eaten right I'm trying to remember I know Havoc had that whole mutant X Thing here but he wasn't actually dead Has Havoc died before Is this his first death Eaten by the Hentai helmet in a Silhouetted panel is that really What we do to a mutant to a character Who has been around for over A half century same with Polaris. I don't believe she's been dead before. Maybe she has, but uh, to kill a character who's been around since the late 60s in a silhouetted panel, one single silhouetted panel, having their head bitten off by a, a tentacled helmet, um, I don't know. I, I, of course, we could talk about how nobody cares anymore. You know, uh, there are a Sparse few of us who still give a crap about uh, the the sanctity of uh, mutant life here, but uh, I don't know. This feels it really feels like they're running out of tricks, you know. Um, I don't know. I'm just not a fan of that. Uh, now let's uh, let's move on. Uh, Juggernaut is not a mutant. 
And even if this story isn't flat out suggesting that he is one, I feel like it's definitely going to confuse and misinform the more casual reader. Right? I mean, we've seen it with Juggernaut, we've seen it with Deadpool, where so many people just believe that these characters are mutants that, like, every once in a while, Marvel has to come out and be like, oh, by the way, they're not. (laughs) You know? I think in Legion of X, Juggernaut said he's not technically a mutant, which got me to raise an eyebrow because it's like there's no technically about it. You're... You're not a mutant, you're a human. <laughs> you're, as, you're as technically a mutant as I am. And I mean, this is not just a current year sort of a uh, confusing issue here. Even if you go back to like Pride of the X-Men, the animated thing from, what was that, 1989, 1988? Whenever it was, I mean, Juggernaut was a member of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, which, that's kind of confusing in and of itself. But uh, I don't know, I feel like this was, uh, it was kind of unnecessary. You know, uh, Quentin could have just used the Blob's body, or even Colossus's, if he wanted to, you know, try to strut his stuff in a larger, slower, more plotting frame. You'd get the same effect, I think. Though I guess the Juggernaut as a visual, it's pretty cool. I mean, we get this cover here with the Quentin as the Juggernaut. It doesn't, you know, you can't tell it's Quentin. <laughs> you know, you just think it's the Juggernaut having been taken over by this hentai helmet or something, and, uh... I don't know, it makes you want to check out what's going on. Maybe it's uh, just a bit of false advertising. It's uh, deceptive marketing. I don't know. Uh, Wolverine's adamantium. Um, now, I may have an advanced degree in science, just not this one. <laughs> I, you show me the uh, the periodic table, and I'm just like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know any of that stuff. But it just feels like... I don't, I don't know. I feel like if magnetic powers were able to do this... They would have, I mean, Magneto wouldn't have waited until Fatal Attractions to yank the the adamantium out. He would have just been screwing with Wolverine's uh, skeleton every time they crossed paths. So it just seems strange that that's what we get here. Um, Of course, what we know is that the adamantium is coating the, uh, you know, the bone claws underneath. So are we to assume that, like, his bone claws are now like powder? Because if you're bending this metal that's coating it, uh, th- those bones ain't going to stay together, right? They don't bend. Right? I don't know. It just feels It feels like they, they thought about it and was like, that's a cool-looking scene. Does it work? Who cares? It's a cool-looking scene. So uh, we're going to put it in there anyway. Next issue, his clothes will be normal again, and we won't even mention it. So, I mean, maybe they will. I don't know. Um, let's go over to Sage. Uh, chatting up Omega Red... Uh, it was kind of a weird scene. I feel like it was supposed to come across as a far deeper scene than it actually was. Um, Sage isn't really written with a voice you can easily sympathize with, right? Or empathize with, whichever word fits there. She's very robotic, which is, of course, her gimmick. But that doesn't really make the scene feel more meaningful? Um, I mean, I, I joke calling her Lilith, uh, referring to uh, Frazier's wife from uh, Cheers, and that's the voice that I read Sage in. <laughs> you know, it's not anybody's fault but my own, but it gives this scene a bit of, like, artificiality. It just doesn't feel like she's being, not so much honest, but genuine, right? Does that make sense? I don't know, and of course we know what she's trying to do here. She's trying to appeal to Arcady, she's seen. She, you know, she's really stuck her neck out for Arcady here, bringing him back in the first place, having him tangentially be a member 
of uh, the of the X Force crew, or at least a an associate, a, a useful idiot of sorts. But um, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, one last thing we'll mention here is the uh, Crucible. It was interesting seeing the Crucible again. I don't believe we've seen it since it was taken off the board during the Trial of Magneto number five. Was it five, four? Uh, the last issue, whichever the last issue was. Um, it does, however, make me wonder if the creative team has forgotten that there's another uh, less problematic fighting arena on Krakoa called the Quarry, which we've seen several times already. And seems like it would probably be where these choir exhibitions should have taken place. Because, I mean, the Crucible, as, as you know, troubling as it was, it still, it was always kind of represented as a, a ritualistic place, like sacred land almost, where blood would be spilled in, with purpose. You know, uh, of course, it's it's a very weird, very perverted, you know, sort of a concept to wrap our minds around. But you would think that this is a place that held some reverence where Quentin, I mean, Quentin's a dick. We know that. But you'd think that the Crucible would be a place that would just be kind of left. You know, you don't you don't practice there. That's not a place where you just get into fights. That's a place where you you enter you know, two people enter, only one leaves. It, it's there should be more reverence held for a place such as that. And you know, with all of that having been said, it probably sounds like I hated this issue. I didn't. I actually enjoyed it. Uh, there were parts about it that really got under my skin, but um, and not in a good way. But I, I found myself enjoying the issue. It was very breezy. Sometimes it's what you need, and we've talked about that before. Where some of these books seem more interested in impressing themselves than anybody who actually pays to read them. This one was far more breezy than that, and it was an enjoyable read here in that we actually get some forward momentum. Of course, there were things I didn't like, and I mentioned all of them, and hopefully hopefully my, uh, my concerns are assuaged in the next couple of issues. Ben Percy as a writer is someone I've come to really appreciate. Uh, I feel like he's matured a lot in his craft since... Uh, since his days on Teen Titans, which oh, I did not care for at all. Though how much of that is him and how much of that was editorial, who can say? Uh, it feels like they had a prime directive for that book, and it was not a good one. <laughs> so um, don't even know if I can hold that against him. But uh, I've so far enjoyed most of his X-Men stuff, and I think most importantly, I, I trust him, which I certainly cannot say for uh, for a lot of our writers on these books, so I'm still optimistic. I'm still looking forward to more. So uh, we will we'll get there <laughs> when we get there. But uh, I think that's all I have to say about the book. Oh, the art was very nice too. Robert Gill did a really good job on the uh, on the artwork. But I wanted to close out today uh, talking about something a little different. Um, I'd gotten an email a few weeks ago. Actually, it was in between. It was during one of my little breaks um, where. I was reached out to by someone who had uh, recently started a podcast uh, not not terribly long ago, and they were frustrated that, uh, well, to put it bluntly, that they weren't famous yet. Now I'm not going to name names, but I've uh, I've talked to them, and uh, I even listened to a couple of their episodes, and I asked if it would be okay if I shared some of my thoughts on the air here as part of my ongoing, you know, idiot's guide to podcasting, which I'm utterly unqualified to uh, lay out for, you know, anybody, really. I, I have 
<laughs> if you want a successful podcast, if you want to become pod famous, I'm probably the last person you'd like to, uh, you know, solicit advice from. But um, here we are, I, I guess. You know, I was looking at the notes that I took for this little segment, and it was a lot of pages in that Google Doc. And uh, we're we're not going to go through all of it. <laughs> um, I just want to touch on some of the more immediate bits that stood out to me as a, as a critique. And I mean, it might sound like a, a somewhat harsh critique, and I apologize for that if it does come across as, as being somewhat harsh. But um, these are little bits of advice that I wish someone would have given me, you know, six years ago. And, uh, you know, going through my notes here, we kind of get into the weeds, so we, we won't. <laughs> we won't do that. Of course, you know, these notes ain't going anywhere, so if anybody wants to hear my in-the-weeds thoughts here, uh, just let me know. And I can work them into future episodes that are hopefully running shorter than this one was. But uh, for my big advice here, and it's the same big advice that I've always had when it comes to someone who shows an interest in having, maintaining, starting a podcast, and that that advice is that you need to pick a subject that you're passionate about. You don't necessarily have to be knowledgeable about it so much as you need to be passionate about it because knowledge comes from passion a lot of times, right? You can you can fall in love with an art form, with a music genre, not know anything about it, but just be so passionate about it that the listener can tell how much you care and how much you want to be a part of or just tangentially relate to whatever your chosen niche is and how... I mean, we live in the age of the internet, right? It's easy to research anything. It's it's beyond easy to research anything. You can Google just about anything, and you can find out complete histories of anything, right? Of course, there are nebulous sources out there. There are unac- inaccurate sources out there, but I mean... If you care about something, you're going to dig a little bit deeper than the first Google result. I, at least I would hope so. That is always going to be my, you know, first, the alpha and omega of my podcasting advice. Be passionate about what you're discussing. And so you sent me some links, and I listened to uh, to some of the shows. And, I mean, I don't do that very often. And that's not just, like, I don't listen to shows people send me. I just don't listen to shows so much anymore. I don't have the time for it. I'm so wrapped up in my own crap that I really don't have the mental real estate <laughs> to uh, to listen to other shows. And I'm so invested in our, you know, little X-lapsed community here that as far as opinions on comics go, I'm only really interested in ours. You know, the folks who write in here, uh, my own of course, and the confluence of the of the two because A, we're honest here, and B, we respect each other's opinions here. Nobody's calling anybody any names here. Nobody's trying to kiss a creator's ass. We're all enjoying these books or not enjoying these books, and we're discussing them. And that's really the only opinions that I'm interested in. And, I mean, I've listened to thousands of hours of comics podcasts. I've performed thousands of hours of comics podcasts. And I know that a lot of it is, how do I say this, um, purposefully performed, <laughs> um, where... Whatever is being said doesn't come across as being genuine, uh, at least not 100% genuine. And of course, this is not a blanket statement, but um, a lot of shows that I have listened to uh, kind of fall under that, uh, under that banner there, where it's more about trying to get the attention of 
Marvel or DC, uh, getting them to listen, somebody from there to listen and to share and to promote and to make you famous, which you know adds to the reasons why I really don't, I really don't go out of my comfort zone as it comes to uh, listening to new stuff. But uh, I did listen to a few of the shows here, and I mean I have absolutely no credibility as it pertains to judging quality of another person's work. I mean I think I've proven that over the course of the six years I've been doing this. I really. I don't know. I just don't. I just don't think that I am at a level where I can critique someone else's um, art or performance. But something I do feel comfortable talking about is how passionate I felt you were during your show. Like how much I could feel that you cared about the material you were discussing. But before I do, just a callback to a previous, you know, Idiot's Guide to Podcasting where I gave some advice about getting your work out there, having people see your work, listen to your work, uh, invest in your work. Just know that it exists. I, through gritted teeth, <laughs> said that, uh, you know, if all else fails, you know, you know, the cream doesn't always rise, unfortunately, that uh, you could um, engage in what I called circle jerking. And I apologize for the, you know, semi-vulgar terminology there, but um, it's all about who you know and what they can do for you. It's not something that I engage in because I, I'm not a very personable person. <laughs> and uh, frankly, I don't think anything I do would just, you know, I, the, like, it's almost like out of the, you know, big name comic podcasters, I, I, it's like I almost don't want them to know that I exist because I think my stuff is that bad. Well, maybe bad's not the right term. Maybe just too different than what other people in this niche do. Not that I'm doing anything mind-blowingly novel. It's just that I feel like this show is a little bit more raw than a lot of the shows out there. It's not highly produced. It's not curated. It's uh, very much off the cuff. It's really, it's a personal sort of show for me. Anyway, to circle back to what I was getting at here, why I introduced the concept here of, uh, of quote-unquote networking um, and passion as it pertained to your chosen niche, what I found when listening to this show was that you were far more passionate about giving shout-outs than you were when you talked about anything having to do with the books you were covering. At least that's how I felt, and I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just a matter of, I don't know, identifying what your show's going to be about. If your show's going to be full of shout-outs and references to other shows, well, A, why don't we just go listen to those shows? And B, it comes across as very, you know, notice-me-senpai. Does that make sense? And I mean, I apologize if this comes across harsh, but you asked for an honest opinion, and that's kind of the gimmick on this show. But I mean, I could go, I could go deeper. I have, like I said, there's a lot of uh, a lot of in the weeds stuff in my notes here. But um, to distill it down to just uh, you know some core advice, I would recommend being excited about what you're talking about, or at least projecting excitement as it pertains to your your chosen niche. Because I only felt like real passion when you were trying to get noticed by other people, and I mean that that could work. Maybe it did work. You know, I'm like I said, I am not a popular person. <laughs> I uh, have very, very few listeners, less by the day, it seems. But it's always, you know, my rule that if someone, if someone's going to invest any amount of time into listening to you talk about anything, you need to be real. 
you know you need to be honest you need to you need to make their time investment worthwhile here they need to get something out of it and i can't speak for everybody uh, of course i would never <laughs> i would never claim to speak for everybody but um if i'm listening to a show about comic books i want to hear you your honest opinions on comic books and not a love letter to some comic book podcasting network but I think that's where we'll draw a line under the advice column for today. Uh, thank you for reaching out to me. Um, it it always means a lot when anybody solicits my opinion, which uh, does not happen very often. So thank you, and I, I hope I haven't said anything that you're going to take out of line here. Um, I've said it many, many times. I want as many voices inside of our niche and our fandom as possible. You know, I think the more people talking about comics, celebrating comics, just promoting comics, that's better for all of us who who have grown up loving these books and continue to love or at least want to love these books into our uh, middle age and, and twilight years. So I would encourage you to keep at it and just uh, worry a little bit less about um, some of those big names noticing you. A little uh, doctor heal thyself there because, uh, like I said, I wish this was uh, this was the advice that I wish someone gave me all those years ago because it would have definitely softened some of the blows of indifference <laughs> that I've received over the years. But um, thanks again for reaching out, and if anybody out there would like to reach out about well anything you want, please feel free to do so. You can find me several different ways. I'm on Twitter at Ace Comics, Instagram 90s X Men. You can send a good old fashioned email to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. Or you can call or text the hotline at 623-396-JERK. For blog posts and show notes, Chris is on InfiniteEarths.com. The Facebook group is 90s X-Men. Of course, for the complete audio archives, you can go to chrisandreggie.podbean.com or find it anywhere the internet aggregates noise. But I think that's going to do it for today. I'd like to thank you all so much for listening to me ramble. And I... I, I I always joke about rambling, but I think today I actually did. So <laughs> thank you all so much for sitting through that and um, indulging me. And of course, until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.